So I want to preface this here today. We're going to be reading John chapter 6. You can turn in your Bibles here. We're walking through John chapter 6, verses, get this, 1 through 51. Okay, watch out. Watch out. Watch out. We're going to get the word today, y'all. Okay, you know when you go and you order that, that like, like 72-ounce steak challenge, right? Okay, I'm going to hope, hopefully we'll avoid the uh, food coma here. Uh, um, but what I want to, to, to kind of show and model here is that, that John is very intentional. We're in the book of John, Gospel of John. For those of you who are new to us or, or checking Grace out, we're walking through the book of John. We like to take books of the Bible or portions of, of Scripture and walk directly through them, verse by verse, to see what God has to say to us, right? Walking through the book of John here. And it's showing light in our darkness. Jesus is that light in our darkness. John is very intentional in trying to show us who Jesus is. He's not just merely a good man. He's not just merely a miracle worker or what the Old Testament would call a prophet. Jesus is God. And he creatively, John, the author of this gospel, creatively puts that on display for us in how he organizes the history and recounting of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to unpack some of that creativity and beauty here as we walk through these verses, because we need all of this context to see the mastery of what John is doing to reveal Jesus to us, okay? <clears throat> Prior to chapter 6, we've already seen Jesus doing these great miracles. He turned water into wine. He, he, he changed the chemical structure of this liquid and not just did it in small proportions, but in, in vast and enormous proportions. He turned water into wine. He's healed an, a, a royal official son merely by his words. He's healed a man who's been crippled for 38 years. We've already seen some of this evidence already working. So, so, so see, John is working at a couple levels here. We are his readers, and we get to see things that the people that were encountering Jesus face-to-face, they didn't have all the context that we've got, okay? So John's writing at two different levels here. He's writing to, 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 to explain the context and the interactions that Jesus is having live at the time. But he's writing also at a level, for, to, creatively so, to engage us, his reader, to see things that the people then didn't see. So that's what we want to pay attention to here. Another point here, but before we jump right in to today's passage, is that Today's passage is going to be kind of like one of those, if you've shown up to a friend's house uh, uh, and there's all this kind of like inside jokes and context and you're like, you're missing stuff and you really feel like kind of a, an outsider because there's all kinds of stuff going on. You've been in that situation, right? Well, well, well in, in this passage here, John is, he's primarily writing to a Jewish audience. So he's making a lot of allusions. There's a lot of insider information here. He's referring back to Old Testament history. I'm going to try to bring that to the forefront so we can understand and appreciate that for us today. As we see what Jesus and John is trying to show us through Jesus and in Jesus is that it's not a matter that we lack evidence to believe and trust in Jesus. It's a matter that we lack a heart transformation. And we need a work of the Father. That we would see Jesus and believe. And we need to come this morning and seek 
the Father to work in us. That we not seek Jesus to be something for us, but that we come and surrender ourselves to Jesus and to receive him. Let's jump in here. We're going we're gonna to walk through the passage uh, uh, portion by portion. Normally, I read it in advance and then unpack it. We're going to be walking through this story and telling this story as we walk through here, okay? Y'all ready to go? Okay, set your clocks for 1 p.m., okay? Grab a snack. All right, here we go. Let me pray. Let me pray. Let me pray. Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. And we're reminded, and we're going to hear it in this passage, we're reminded that we need you, God, to work in us, that we would see you right. We are responsible to believe and trust in you, Jesus, but our hearts are blind. Our hearts are corrupt, and they think only about ourselves. Jesus, move in us. Spirit, move in us. And move in me. Lord, you could declare your word and unpack your word, Jesus. God, let us be changed. Let us be changed. And let us see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Here we go. John 6. After this, after this, being Jesus' teaching and, and interaction with the Jews around healing the man who'd been crippled 30, 38 years, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is in northern Israel, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Well, I want to pause here. All right, this is important context. John, when he's specific about drawing out the Passover or a feast of some kind, it's intentional. We want to pay attention because John's going to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this. This somehow helps us to understand Jesus better. So Passover, what is this? What are they talking about? It's a feast of the Jews. So Passover goes back to this massive, significant event that happened a couple thousand years before Jesus is coming where the people of Israel... People who God had said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to show the world myself through you. They were in slavery in, this, in, the, in the nation of Egypt. And God raised up a man named Moses to, to liberate them and to bring them out of slavery, to bring them out of bondage, to bring them out of oppression and tyranny. But there had to, there had to be this significant kind of events, these things called plagues. And the final one was this plague of death of the firstborn. The only way to avoid this judgment, this judgment by God uh, against Egypt was to have the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb, who was slaughtered and killed. That blood was put on the posts of the door. And you can see it in the upper right-hand corner of this picture over here. The blood had to be put on the doorposts. Now, there was a feast that was put together for the Passover. And, and one of the particular things was that the bread at these feasts could not have any yeast in it, all right? Couldn't have anything that would help the, 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 the bread rise. The, the yeast helps give that airiness in the, in, in the bread, and I like the yumminess, like I think of it. I'm not a big fan of like, you know, but you know what? We Think of, think of our, our, brother, our Latino brothers and sisters, tortillas. That's what they were eating. They were eating tortillas at this time, all right? Or, or, or these crackers, very thin, all right? But the reason for this was they didn't have time. They needed to be ready, 
because God was going to deliver them. They need to be ready for God's salvation. They need to follow and trust in his plan for salvation. So they had this unleavened bread. Okay, Siri. All right. Uh, uh, so they had this unleavened bread in order to get ready. But they also, the lamb that they slaughtered, the blood that was put on the doorpost, they were supposed to eat that. They were going to roast it. And they were to eat the flesh. These were part of the instructions. Now, this became a seven-day feast, all right? It started with that Passover feast where they would eat the lamb and some other things in the bread. But then for seven days, it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, they couldn't have anything with yeast in it. And so they couldn't make any other food either because this was called a Sabbath. You didn't work. So you had to prepare all your food for the next seven days. There's a lot of bread going on. A lot of bread being baked. Bread is on the mind of these believers, all right? All right, they're getting ready to have that, roast that lamb, and, 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 and they're cooking up, the ladies are cooking up all, all, all this unleavened bread and getting it all ready. Bread and lamb chops are on their mind, all right? It's also a time that they're reminded we were liberated from slavery once. And remember where they're at right now, the Israelites are right now? They're in Roman captivity now. They're anticipating somebody's going to come and lead us out. There's a deliverer coming like Moses. In fact, Moses had prophesied that another was going to come. Deuteronomy chapter 18 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. All right, friends, this is context here, all right? This is context that's brewing, that, that, that's happening for the Israelites, for God's people, for the Jews, that, that's percolating inside of them at this time, all right? So we go to verse 5. Lifting his eyes, Jesus looks up and sees the vast crowd, seeing the large crowd coming towards him. Jesus says to Philip, where are you going to buy some bread so that these people may eat? Now, he said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, and he's got five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they, what are they for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left uh, by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to take him, uh, come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
So Jesus sees the crowd out there. There's a ton of them out there. And he sets out. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to feed them. He's going to feed them. Because he knows that by feeding them, it's going to tap their anticipation of this prophet to come. So he tests his, his disciples, asking them some of these leading questions, right? Uh, how are we going to do this? Uh, uh, Philip, who's very pragmatic, he's like, there ain't, there, there ain't enough. Uh, 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 even with a, a large number of money, we couldn't buy enough food to feed everybody. You see, so 5,000 men, right? That's just men. It's estimated that there could have been up to fifteen to 20,000 people there, Okay? Because the, the number only gives us men. It doesn't give us the, 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 the wives, children, 15, we'll, get, we'll say 15,000, all right? Just be conservative. How about that? And Andrew comes up to Jesus, and he says, okay, we got this, and he's got his lunchbox, all right? His Transformers lunchbox. And he's got five barley loaves, which was like a poor man's cake, and we've got two fish, Okay? I'm sorry, but there's like no fish, live fish. It would be horrible if I had live fish up here. So we've got some good kipper snacks here, some, uh, some smoked boneless fillets of herring, all right? You know, so this was a lunch, all right? All right, so can this, can this food here, can this food fit, feed everybody here? It, just in this house, and we got, we got about 150 people here. Are we going to feed everybody here? No, let alone... 5,000 men, let alone the women and children as well, right? Jesus blesses it, sends it out. Now imagine how the people are just, you know, they're out there, they're kind of waiting for Jesus to do, you know, some teaching or whatever, they're hanging out, they're talking among themselves, it's massive. You just, have you seen 15,000 people? Right? It, it, it's a massive uh, crowd of people out there. And, 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 and the, this basket's starting to pass around. And you know that some of, some of the people out there who are really perceptive, and they notice, like, they're looking at the basket, and they're looking around at the people, and they're looking back at the basket, and they pass it on, and they're still watching that basket, and they're looking at the people, and things are kind of starting to connect and starting to click how is that going to feed all these people? And as it keeps passing through, and, and people aren't just eating a little bit. Did you see what it said there? They ate till they were full. It wasn't a snack. It wasn't a morsel. It wasn't what, like, you know, mama's what you get after you fed your kids. It's like, oh, I get the bird toast, I get the scraps and leftover. Pick it off of the floor. No. They till they were full. The crowd starts to, people are starting to talk with each other. Did, did you just, do you see what just happened? Is that really happened? Is it, and the murmur starts to grow as, as people start connecting the, the information. And, and, and some of those people who are, who, you know, they're good with their long-term memory and they've read, read their Old Testament well and they remember, there was, wasn't there a problem? Didn't this happen before? There was this guy named Elisha in that book of like Samuel or no kings or something like that, where he talked to this prophet Elisha and they, and he fed like 5,000 people. What's going on? This, what's going on? It's Passover. They're excited about deliverance. There's a prophet among them. 
Deuteronomy 15, Moses had told them, a prophet's going to come. We can't anticipate, we, we can't imagine the kind of excitement. Friends, it's rising. The excitement is rising. A mob is forming. And Jesus knows, because what do they want to do? They want to make him king. This guy's going to set us free from the Romans. This guy's going to liberate us like, like Moses. He, can, he feeds us. He's doing miracles. They want to take him and make him king by force. But what does Jesus do? What's he do? He slips away. He's so good at that, right? He knows exactly what was happening. He slips away by himself. Likely, as Jesus did, he prayed often. He went to the Father and he abided. But the people, they saw that there's something going on. There's something exciting here. Jesus knows, I'm not that kind of king, and it's not my time yet. And so this story ends at that point here. But it's part of this greater context, all right? So the story moves on to this next scene, all right? So we got episode one here. Jesus feeds all these people. They're excited. They see something has happened here. Just like with the water to wine, this is not just some parlor trick, some, some kind of illusion. This is a miracle that has happened. Now, we're like watching Netflix now, so we get to watch the whole thing, right? We're binge watching, all right? Here we go. We got the next episode. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started walking across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had to not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus was walking on the sea and, and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus has gone off on his own. Disciples, not sure why they left. Maybe they already knew Jesus had talked about the plans. Hey, we're going to Capernaum here. Uh, um, so they, they follow the plan, get into the boats, head across the sea. Three to four miles in, they're not like three to four feet in. Did you catch that? Okay? They're in the middle of the sea. They're in the middle of the sea. And they're out there, and, and, and see, the Sea of Galilee is below sea level, okay? So it's kind of like a bowl down in there, and they can get some winds that come off and, and come down, and, can, and it can cause it to be some rough waves, and, and, and it's, a rocky, it's a rocky road there across to the other side. And, 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 then, and, and as they're rowing, and they're getting at it, like one of the guys sees there's something on the water. There's something on the, on the water, and it's like, it's like coming towards us. And it's getting closer. And they're pointing to each other like, what is that? Because, you know, it's not every day that you see somebody walking on water, right? Like, that's kind of like out of the, or that's kind of weird. You know, and Mark, he captures the, the, the disciples' reaction like, it's a ghost! All right, so if you see a ghost, it's usually not a good, like, right? The, the sense of ghosts that we have is like, that's kind, of, that's kind of crazy scary. Like, we might, maybe we're going to die. Maybe it's going to eat us. I don't know. Zombies. Whatever. So not usual. They weren't used to seeing people walking on water, coming to us. And Jesus quickly says, hey, hey, guys, it's just me. Just, you know, just me. Real casual. 
you know, just another day in the neighborhood with Jesus. And like, oh, it's Jesus. Okay, come on the boat. Everything's all good. At least that's kind of how John captures it here. John really mutes this story down. Like, oh, they're going off the water. It was rough. Jesus is walking out. They're like, oh, my goodness. What's going on? Jesus, okay, it's good. Why, why is John so brief and to the point here without drawing out all the drama and what's this happening and, and trying to make the point, hey, this, Jesus is God. John is pointing out The people are expecting another Moses. The people are expecting another prophet, another human being who will give them relief from their physical sufferings, from their physical ailments, from their, from their, their troubles and trials, who will bring them good things for the moment. Now, they're looking for a person. John's trying to show Jesus ain't no person. He ain't just a person. He's God. You see, Moses... Moses led them out of Egypt, right? The Passover. Moses got to that point. He got to the sea, right? What happened with the sea when he got to it? The sea parted, and they walked across dry land. But Jesus, did Jesus need to part the water? Jesus didn't need to part the water, friends, because Jesus walked on the water. Guys, it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's so significant that John's hearers are kind of, they've got all that context, they've got all that inside information, and, 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 and for John's readers to be, be taking this in, like they've got all this Moses kind of context and, and, and Exodus liberation, and Jesus didn't need the water to part so he could cross. He walked on top of the water. Man, something's going on. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man. And his deliverance isn't merely just physical removal of suffering or bringing good things. Now, there's something more. Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus is God. All right, in that episode, Jesus walks on water. Next episode here, verse 22, on the next day. The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but that, is, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me, Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father 
has set his seal. So the crowd recognizes. They all wake up. Next day, they see Jesus is gone. But we know that he slipped away from us. He wasn't with his disciples. Disciples, they're gone too. That boat's gone. They must have taken that boat. Not sure what happened with Jesus. Questions are kind of percolating here. And they're like, we got to go find this Jesus guy. All right? So they hop in the boats, head across the, the sea themselves, get to the other side. They're seeking Jesus. They find him. And they're like, hey, when did you get here? You can imagine the events of the night before. That the disciples, if, they had, if you had seen somebody walking on water, would you keep that news to yourself? Probably not. You'd be like, this dude, Jesus, he walked on water. We saw it. We saw he, That's how he came with the, You can imagine there's a murmur and there's rumors spreading. And the people, are, they're like, well, we know he didn't get in the boat, so how did he get over And so they come and they're asking him. Now they're asking, they're, the, the, Jesus and people and John, the people encounter him at a very material level, physical level. And Jesus, what does he always do? He takes it miles deeper, right? He always gets right at the heart. Which makes these conversations a bit awkward because they're missing each other at the beginning. And then, and then they begin to catch up towards the end. But Jesus calls them out. He says, you're not seeking me. Really? You're not seeking me because you understand what happened, that miracle. You saw the miracle and, 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 and you liked the benefits. And so you want the benefits. You came here to get more food. You came here for me to continue to satisfy your physical needs. You came here because you want alleviation from your material suffering or you want blessings you want you want the material stuff right now and jesus says guys there's so much more so much more because you're gonna you're gonna keep getting hungry you're gonna keep needing to be fed you're gonna keep needing to be rescued you're gonna keep needing to be pulled out of that pit Don't labor for, labor for stuff that perishes. And we get hung up on that too, don't we? You see, we look at, the, we look at these people at this time where, where, where they're so superficial and they're just, they just want stuff like, Jesus, bless me now. Give me physical stuff now. Or take the bad stuff away. Isn't that a lot of our prayers? Isn't that a lot of how we all, oftentimes interact with Jesus? Take the bad stuff, bring the good stuff. Jesus says, all this stuff is Temporary. What if there was more? What if there was more that was unending, eternal? It doesn't fade. It doesn't, it doesn't break down, but it's good all the time, forever. So Jesus begins to whet their appetite. But let's see their response here, how they respond. Then verse 28, it said to him, what must me do to be doing the works of God. Their interaction with him is purely on focused on themselves. Jesus answered him, The work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. Isn't that oftentimes our response? Okay, okay, Jesus, you want to do some stuff? You want to, you want to work in my life? Okay, now what do I got to do to get it? We're still operating on the human plane. 
We, we, we think in transactional relationships. I go to Walmart, I'm going to pay them money, and they're going to give me my gummy bears. All right? Right? That's how we think about things. In relationships, they're being good to me because I did something to them. Or if I do bad things, well, the bad things are happening in my life because I did bad things and I'm a bad person. Right? We think in that transactional way. Jesus is saying no. The work is to believe. What does this mean? It means to receive the work of Jesus in us. It means to, to be, to be the, the, the passive, grateful recipients of a gift. To believe is to put your trust not on your ability to save yourself, but on his ability to save you. To believe means to love him. I want you to be my God. I want to adore you. I want to honor you. I want to live for you. You're worthy. Believe is a response to something he's already done, to something he's doing in us. Believe. What's their response here? Verse 30, here we go. So they said to him, Oh, we get it now, Jesus. Okay. We surrender. No, that's not what they said. Whoops. So what sign will you do then that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus says, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people, clearly still not jiving with Jesus. They're not on the same wavelength. They get that he's talking about himself. Believe in the one whom God sent. He's saying, I'm sent from God. Okay, so what are you going to do? Now, ironically, for you and I, we're the readers here. This is where John gets his creativity. This is where we as the readers start to distance ourselves from the people like, don't, they don't, they're, they're dumb. They're dumb. Because what did we just read about? He just walked on water. He just fed the 5,000. He, he, he healed a man crippled for 38 years. With just his word, he spoke. And the, and the, and the, and the official son was healed. The evidence is compelling, right? They're saying we need more evidence. The jury's out. And where do they go? Who do they go to? Moses, right? Guys, this context is rich with Moses. Are you better than Moses? I mean, Moses gave us bread. Well, Jesus is like, no, no, Moses didn't do anything, guys. He did absolutely nothing. God gave the bread. That manna that miraculously came down, they had just enough every day, but it would spoil. They had just enough for the day because they had to trust in God's provision. Every day for 40 years. What they're saying is, okay, well, you know, it was nice. You fed us once, Jesus, but uh, <clears throat> how about you feed us like every day? I mean, school lunch kind of thing. Let's go. 
Come on, Jesus. I mean, one time's good. I mean, that's pretty special. But, I mean, Moses did it for like 40 years. Come on. And let's tell you, let us tell you the menu for tomorrow, by the way. Jesus explains what they want is, 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 is so empty and so superficial. And, what, and, and, and Moses doesn't hold a candle to who Jesus is. Because what Jesus is offering is not something physical. He's offering something that is spiritual, something that changes us. It doesn't change our circumstances because all of this is going gonna, is gonna to go away. All this is corrupted. All this is broken. Don't we have the tendency to try to set up home here and now? We're like, why is this world so bad? Why, why, why do bad things happen now? Because we don't understand. We should be asking, why does anything good happen now? That's the question we should be asking, friends. Because we expect heaven to come now. We expect, we expect all the work of God and his goodness to come bare now. He is preparing a place that is perfect. This is corrupted because we did it. We corrupted it. The evil and justice and brokenness and sin and all the disasters, Afghanistan and, and, and Hurricane, what is it? Helena or Irene or whatever it is. Natural disasters, disease, all these things, friends, are because of sin in this world. We're expecting heaven now, and he's saying, I got something better. I got eternity. Don't be surprised that bad things happen now, that you want them removed. Be surprised that anything good happens now, because that's my grace. Because good things are coming. More than that, I am the good thing jesus says verse 34 sir give us this bread always every day jesus come on you're gonna trump moses and jesus says oh okay i'll see you moses and i'll give you i am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have sent me, seen me, excuse me, this is critical. I said to you, you've seen me, yet you do not believe. It's not a matter of evidence, friends. You've seen, but you choose not to believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from the heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus drops this bomb. And this is the first of the Many I am statements that Jesus makes. Again, this goes back to Old Testament. There's context here. When Jesus makes the statement, I am, it refers back to Moses who stood before this thing called a, it was a, it was a bush and it was on fire, but it didn't, it didn't break down. It, didn't, it, 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 it wasn't consumed. And God was in that. And God spoke, Yahweh. And he spoke to Moses. And he said, Moses, I'm going to make you my deliverer. And, he, and Moses says, how, how, how am I to convince people to follow me? How, who, who should I say sent me? He says, I am. 
I am sent you. Tell them. Moses stood before, on holy ground before the I am. And Jesus here drops this bomb. This is no small thing. He says, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread that satisfies. Listen, when you come to me, it's not gonna, you're not going to uh, need ongoing kinds of other sources because I'm going to run out or, 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 or uh, you're, you're going to get hungry again. I will satisfy. Now and forever, I'll change your life now because I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you. I am the bread of life. Moses doesn't touch me, guys. I'm greater than Moses. I'm the one who sent Moses. I am. Now, Jesus goes on to explain. Here's the deal. I'm laying this all this out to you. I'm giving you eternity. I'm, I'm standing right in front of you. I'm the one you've been waiting for. But you see me, but you don't believe. What's going on? Why? Because there's a deeper need here. Here's a friend, here's the deal, friends. It's never a lack of evidence for us to be able to believe in God, believe in Jesus Christ as God and our Savior. It's not because there's a lack of evidence, historical evidence, miraculous evidence, rational evidence. It's not that, that's not the issue at all. Anytime I've interacted with a person who's either an atheist or an agnostic or people from other religions, it's not an intellectual issue as we bring the evidence. It's a heart issue. We're blinded. We're blinded by our pride. That we think we know better. That we think, okay, if there is a God, then he should do for me. Not that we were made for God. That, that he, he should operate according to my rules. This world should operate according to my rules. We got everything flipped around. Rather than being able to see this world through God's eyes, through serving and honoring him, through worshiping him, our hearts are darkened by our brokenness and sin. We need a heart change. And so Jesus explains why why don't you come to me? Why don't you believe? Because there's something the Father hasn't started in you. You're responsible from your own pride, but, but, but we need the Father's help. Because left to ourselves, friends, we're all hell-bent on headed to hell. We're all hell-bent on, on my way, on the my way highway. And we're blinded by that. We can be so close to Jesus. We can be like these people and have Jesus right in front of our face, God doing miracles around us, and we'll still believe in ourselves, not in him. Okay, let this sink in. Jesus keeps going. The Jews grumbled about him, 41 here, because they said, I, he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
whose father and mother we know? I mean, we saw this dude growing up. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As it's written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the, desert, in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. <coughs> the people still struggling at an intellectual level here to, 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 to make sense. Jesus, okay, he's saying he's from heaven. He's the bread of life. There's what's going on here. We, like, we... We saw Jesus playing in the streets, you know? We, we saw him doing, doing woodwork with his daddy. We, like, heaven? Maybe Nazareth, right? Not heaven. What's going on here? Jesus doesn't get caught up in, in their misunderstandings and their questions about his origins. John is alluding here. Matthew and Luke show to us the virgin birth, the miraculous way in which God brought Jesus, his own son, God himself, to become God. But he goes right to it. Listen, the reason why you don't believe, because your own brokenness is because you need the Father to work in you. You need the Father to open your eyes. You need the Father to remove the darkness and deal with the sin in your hearts, your selfishness, your pride. As long as you want God to be something for you instead of you serving and surrendering to Him as the one true God. You continue to be blind. We can be so close to Jesus and yet miss Him. We need the intervention of the Father in our lives all the time. Whether it's for the first time, if you're a person who's struggling with this whole Christian thing and this faith thing and you're, and you're just trying to make sense, I just, I want to know truth. Start there. Ask God in the most primitive way, uh, just asking and it may feel like, I don't know what I'm talking to, but God, show me truth. God wants to open your hearts. You see, God desires that all people would be saved and come to know Jesus. He desires all of us and he's working in these moments in our lives to pull back the veil so we can see, but we've got to respond. We have a responsibility to respond to Jesus and to surrender. God's not going to do that for us, but he will, he will address our broken and darkened hearts to make it possible. Ask him to help you. But it's not just for non-believers, friends. Even for our believers, his disciples needed this. 
We need this because we get in these moments, right, where, where we get flipped back into that old way of Jesus. Why aren't you my servant and why aren't you doing for me? Why aren't you fixing my life for me? Why aren't you giving me good things and taking away the bad things, Jesus? I'm not going to believe or trust you. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to follow you until you do good things for me. That's the darkness. God, take this away. Open the eyes of my heart. I don't see you. I don't see you in my life, Jesus. I don't feel you. Jesus, remove the darkness in my heart so I can see. It's not that Jesus, show up, do more signs for me so I can see. No, Jesus, remove the darkness inside of me so I can see. God, Father, move in me. For those who who are scholars and studiers, what we're talking about here is prevenient grace. I expect most of you to forget that. It's okay. Prevenient grace. It's the intervening grace of God to open our hearts and our eyes to move in our lives so we can see God, see Jesus as he is and respond. As you see here, we are held accountable to believe, but we need Jesus. We need God the Father to intervene. Jesus' concluding statement here is, the bread that I give the world is my flesh. Hang with me, friends. We're about to wrap up here, okay? Only 45 more minutes. All right? The bread that I give the world, that gives life, is my flesh. You remember in the Passover, remember, because this is all, the Passover is coming. It's like a day or two ahead. Bread's on their mind. And so are lamb chops. They got their lambs ready. They're going to be slaughtered. And they're going to roast those lambs. And part of the instructions in remembering God's deliverance and anticipating his future deliverance is to eat the flesh of the lamb that was slaughtered. Jesus says, the life I give to this world, the bread I give to this world is my flesh. He's mixing some metaphors here in the Passover, but he's pointing to that lamb, those lamb chops. I am the fulfillment of the Passover. I am the one whose blood was shed to cover you and to save you. Because I'm going to change you. You see, that the, the bigger problem here right now is your hearts need to be changed first. And I have come, and on the cross, in my flesh, that will be crucified and slaughtered and slain. My blood will flow to change you, to save you from yourself. But not only that, my body will be broken Because I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve for your sin. I'm going to take that on myself so you can have eternity. It's not anything you do, friends. It's something you receive. Because you believe. Eat that flesh. Take it in. That's communion, right? The body and the blood shed and broken for us to save us. This alone will satisfy. But we won't get it, friends. Without the Father working in us, we need that, and we need to seek the Lord for that. One of the great hymns of this time, 
of our time that we, we enjoy singing, even to today with our contemporary worship, is And Can It Be, written by John Wesley. Or excuse me, Charles Wesley, his bro- John's brother. Charles Wesley was a man, he went to seminary, he went to school, he was a missionary, he was telling other people about Jesus. He was doing all these works, but he was empty. At age 31, he was crying out like, Lord, I don't even know if I'm saved. I I keep trying. I keep working so hard. He was so close to Jesus. Charles Wesley, he was part of one of the great revivals in history. He was so close to Jesus. He knew knew the Bible in and out. He knew. But he didn't know. He didn't see. When he was 31, he was sick, literally sick in bed. He was just crying out to God. He had, he had been in the United States doing missionary work, and he was back in the, in, in the in British kingdom, and, and he, was, he was crying out, broken, empty, because religion is empty. All our doing for God has nothing because we, it's only God who can do for us, and we respond to that. And Charles encountered Jesus. And he learned in this moment, in his, in his sickbed, what it meant to believe. To receive what Jesus has done. To trust that he's paid it all, he's done it all, that he is my all in all. And, 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 it, and, and, and it's a response to what he's done. It's not all my doing for him. It's not him, him changing my life here and now. It's, it's just him. And how he's worked for me in my place. And he wrote this hymn. In response to that conversion moment. When he learned what what to receive and believe in Jesus. He says, and can it be that I should gain. An interest in the Savior's blood. Because it wasn't his own. He'd been striving and he needed the Lord. He needed God to open his heart. Maybe you've been so close to Jesus. But you haven't ever seen him. You're, You're still struggling. You're dry and you're empty. And you need to receive. Maybe you're still intellectually wondering and you're waiting for more signs, but there's never going to be enough. You want to know truth. Ask the Father to open your heart to see it. Verse 2 of this song says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what stands before us. Friends, may we call upon the Father who breaks the chains, who brings us light, who sets us free, that we might rise and follow. Amen. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Jesus, we ask. We want to see you. We want to take hold of this love ourselves. We want to be able to exclaim like this song, Lord, and can it be that we see 
Father, move in our hearts. Move the darkness away that we keep expecting you to change things for us rather than, Lord God, expecting you to change us. Jesus, move. Father, open hearts. And let us go forward in joy, liberated by the deliverer. The one greater than Moses. Not a man, but God himself. Jesus. Amen.